going to read as Paul hears about the struggles from others that were coming in his life. We continue our study through the book of Acts with chapter 21 in verse 1, where we read, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them, speaking of the pastor's conference in Miletus, and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and then from there to Patara, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. Now, while that just seemed like a journal of the travels, when we read what they were actually doing, it gives us more insight. As many of you know, I was a navigator in the Navy. And so I have a little understanding of being on ships and being over the water and understanding of how air can change the course of your travels. When you have wind, uh, you are sometimes subject to that wind. Even in a hovercraft that is motorized, we had four gas turbine engines that lifted that thing up and moved us around at 40 knots. I mean, it's, it was easy to get around. But if you have wind, it's subject to the wind, just like an airplane is subject to the wind when you're flying. Some of you have felt it when you're doing this, you know, and falling out of your chair. It's uh, what the wind does on the ocean. That's how they, they didn't have gas turbine engines back then. They had sails. And so they were subject to the wind. So now let's look at this again. Now it came to pass when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. You see, when you run a straight course, that means the wind is behind you and it's letting you sail straight to your destination. You don't have to tack back and forth to get to your destination. And they were running a straight course. The following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. So they were moving at a good pace. They were going directly where they wanted to go. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left. Well, that's another one of those things. What does that matter that they sailed past Cyprus on the left? Because if you go on the other side, you're in between the mainland and the island. And so when you get in there, guess what? No wind. The, the wind is now blocked by both the mainland and the island. And so, or you get unusual winds. And so now you have to fight to get the ship to where you want to go. But because they had favoring winds, they went on the other side of the island and took a, a straight shot at where they were going. And so this shows that they had favoring winds. What is that? Have you ever heard the term fair winds and following seas? It's 
talking about the fact that you have winds behind your back getting you to your destination. And this may be an indication that God was behind them getting them to where they needed to go. Remember, Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost. And so this was a way, an indication that God was with them, getting them to where they wanted to go. And when we um, passed uh, Cyprus, we, uh, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. Uh, for there, the ship was to unload a cargo and finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They found disciples. The, these disciples weren't lost and then they were found. It was the fact that they were looking for disciples when they landed there. Let's see if we can find some disciples here. And they did. Notice there was no mention of a synagogue. You see, a synagogue is built when there are 10 Jewish believers that they form a synagogue. Now, when I say built, a synagogue could be in a tent. It's just the Jewish believers that come together and that's where Paul usually would go because that would be his first stop to, to minister to the Jewish believers. But here, they're no longer doing that. You see, Paul isn't really in ministry mode. Now he is in the mode to get to where he was going, his destination was Jerusalem. And so he was on his way there. Let's see if we could find some disciples and encourage them. And he did find some and he stayed with them seven days. And they told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So here were some disciples. Where did they come from? Well, it's very possible, probable, that they came from Jerusalem during the Diaspora. See, Saul was in Jerusalem and he was wreaking havoc on the church in Jerusalem. And people fled all over the place because of what Paul was doing, Saul, back then, was doing. And so here... These people probably moved and came into this area in, in Tyre. And they get there and guess who shows up? The guy that chased them out of Jerusalem. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? And, and so now Paul gets there and he wants to minister uh, to these people that are there. And they say, don't go up the spirit this is the Holy Spirit told, uh, said not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, let's read that again. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Okay, so the Spirit obviously told them what was going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. And they said, hold on, we got word from the Spirit there are bad things going to happen. Don't go up there. And when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. 
And we knelt down at the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And so here, they get together, they meet, they say, hey, there's a warning. Paul, don't go there. And it was okay. Paul already knew what was going to happen to him. We've been reading about that. He had been warned in other places. He even told the disciples in other places, this is what's going to happen to me. And so he was fully aware they weren't. But the same spirit that warned Paul is the same spirit that is warning these entire and those that he left back in Ephesus. So uh, this is sometimes how the Spirit speaks to us, gives us warnings about things that are going to happen. Sometimes we hear from the Spirit about troubles that are going to be coming our way. And that can make us afraid, or it can prepare us for what's going to happen. Quite often, we lean to the side of fear instead of the side of courage and comfort from the Lord. We're more concerned about what may actually happen. This is not something that Paul ever experienced in his. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to him. In all his writings, you will get a consistent message. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven. I can't wait to be before the Lord in heaven. But for right now, I'm stuck with you guys. <laughs> but I'm looking forward. I have no fear of death because I know... And I believe this goes back to the time where he was taken out of Lystra and stoned outside the city, left for dead. And he had a heavenly experience. He saw heaven. He saw what was, and he knew what he had to look forward to. And so that would, wouldn't all of you like that? You know, not saying that all of you, because I've had my own, that's not it. But that's the part of faith that I believe we have to really rely on what we're told by God. That's the part of faith where we say we don't know. Faith is believing in the things that we don't see. And I believe in what God tells us we have to look forward to. It's going to be a great day when we get there because it's not going to be anything like what we imagine in our heads. You know, we can imagine till the cows come home. I don't know what that means, but we can imagine in our heads what it will be like and it will do no justice to what it's really going to be like. It's going to be so much better, so much different that... I'm just looking forward to it. I'm, and I'm not going to journal once I get there. Okay, this is what's going. I'm just going to take it all in. We all need to do that. Be ready for that day. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus. And 
greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we were, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Excuse me one second. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Oh, that's encouraging. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when we would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. So they get to this place and Paul stays at the home of Philip. He was one of the seven that were chosen. Remember, back in Jerusalem, the apostles said, look, we're too busy to be taking care of all the administrative needs. Let's raise up seven guys that will administer all the needs of the people. And we will keep our focus on the word and prayer. And so Philip was one of those guys that was selected at this time. And now he was also the same one that went to the Ethiopian eunuch that was traveling back to Ethiopia and ran alongside his chariot, jumped up, and then explained to him what he was reading. Then he went down and was baptized. And when he baptized him, he disappeared. Not, not the eunuch, um, but Philip disappeared and went was found in a different location. And now he stayed in that region because that's where he is now with his uh, four virgin daughters that prophesied. So he was one of the seven that probably was with Stephen when Stephen was stoned to death. He was probably there in that crowd. So he saw what happened to Stephen there was one other person in that group that was probably there, or that we know was there, and that was Paul, Saul. He was watching the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. And so Philip probably recognized who Saul, Paul was. He probably knew about his conversion, but can you imagine the uncomfortable, hey, you killed my friend. You know, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> you, you know, it, it was probably one of those uncomfortable moments. But at the same time, um, it's a God moment. 
It's the moment where he can now see, you know what, this is a changed man. This is someone that had an experience with the Lord and now is a changed man. So these four daughters that prophesied, prophecy doesn't necessarily mean speaking about future events. Quite often we get caught up with prophecy. What's prophecy about? Oh, speaking future events. No, prophecy is the declaration of the word of God. And so when we are speaking the word of God, the scripture, we are prophesying. That doesn't make us all prophets now. That's a different term. It's really not the same thing. But prophets are ones that have a special power endued by God to do prophecy in a different context. Forward-looking prophecy. Okay, these were probably women that were teaching other women that were prophesying to other women. They led the women's Bible studies, um, the women of faith, and they all got together and had conferences. I don't know. But here's one thing. They didn't tell Paul what he was going to be experiencing when he got to Jerusalem. So if they were the kind of prophets that people try to pigeonhole them into, they didn't have the knowledge of prophecy about what was going to happen to Paul. Who was it that told him? Agabus. Agabus was a prophet that was back in Acts 11. He was the one that told Jerusalem that there was going to be a famine and to prepare for the famine that was coming. That's why Paul, when he was out there doing ministry in Asia and in Greece, he was taking a collection from the Gentile churches and having them bring that collection back to Jerusalem because they experienced a famine, they had spent all their money, and now the church at Jerusalem was hurting. And so that was the impetus for the collection that was taken. And now Agabus comes down from Jerusalem, meets with everyone here as Paul comes into town, and he takes Paul's belt and he wraps up his, not Paul, but he wraps his own hands and feet and says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. And Paul probably looked and said, I borrowed it from Philip. <laughs> no, no, that, that isn't what he said. He, he knew at that point that this is what he had looking forward to. You know, you would think at this point, oh, run away. Go, go, just send everyone else and you run away and go somewhere else. That wasn't his desire. Paul, was he going against the Holy Spirit? There are some commentators that believe that Paul went against the will of the Spirit because he continued to go. He was just headstrong and he was going to do what he wanted to do even though the Holy Spirit was warning him and telling him not to go. No, the Holy Spirit never told him not to go. 
the Holy Spirit just told him what he had looking to look forward to when he got there, which wasn't very appealing. And there they all were, begging him not to go. Even Luke, who wrote this, he said, we, we were begging him not to do this. So consider this. The church entire by the Spirit warned Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And now Agabus, the prophet, told Paul he would be arrested and bound and delivered to the Gentiles. Who was arrested, bound, and delivered to the Gentiles before? Jesus. So basically, Agabus was telling Paul, you have to look forward to the same thing. Because the Jews didn't have the right to put someone to death. They didn't have the right of capital punishment. That was removed by Rome when they were conquered by Rome. Rome said, anyone that is administering capital punishment, it has to go through Rome. And that's how come they had to bring Jesus to the court in, um, the, the Roman court in Jerusalem so that he could be put to death. And here, the same thing. He said, you're going to be given over to the Gentiles. That means he was going to be put to death. It was an indication they understood what that meant and the disciples begged him not to go. So we can say, gee, Paul, why aren't you listening to all the people but I don't believe the message was for Paul. I believe the message was for the disciples at Tyre and here in Caesarea where they are gathered with all these others. I believe the message was for everyone else. You see, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, it's going to happen just the way they've already prophesied. He was going to be arrested. He was going to be bound. And then he was going to be taken to Rome and kept under house arrest until he was put to death. He already knew that he was going to go to Rome. He already had that idea. But he was telling them, hey, I'm going there. I'm even willing to be put to death there if that's what the case is. You see, he wanted to prepare them for the fact that this was going to happen. The Holy Spirit wanted to prepare them that this was going to happen. You see, if they weren't warned, and then Paul went up to Jerusalem and was bound, put to trial, and killed in Jerusalem, how would their faith be affected? Oh, why did this happen to Paul? Oh, this is so scary. And they would once again lose faith, many of them. But in this instance, it was a faith builder. Because they were already told that this is what is going to happen. And now the second part, Paul was willing to do it. How many of us are willing to do what the Holy Spirit tells us that we should do? How many of us are willing to take that step in faith 
to go and do the thing we don't want to do. When the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go and apologize to that person for what you said to them. I want you to go mend the friendship that was broken. I want you to go speak to someone that you don't really like and share with them the love of God. When the Holy Spirit tells us to do something we don't want to do, generally we look for something we do want to do in a mission type concept. Oh, you know what? Uh, instead, I'm going to go out and evangelize. I'm going to hand out tracts. I'm going to, you know, give a bigger tip at the restaurant. And we think of something that we can do that fits more into our wheelhouse, that makes us feel more comfortable. But when the Holy Spirit calls us to do something, we just need to do it. Because God is not trying to get us to do something um, just to make him look good. God wants us to do something because he wants to use us to accomplish his will, his purposes. He wants to use us. And then when he uses us and we do what he wants us to do, we are the ones that are blessed. We're the ones that receive the blessing. Not the honor, not the glory, not the worship. We don't receive those things. We receive the blessing from God. <clears throat> Paul never went around saying, hey, you have to see the churches I built. You have to see the places that he bragged on them. He bragged on the churches. Oh, that church in Philippi. He didn't say, I'm the one that planted that. He said, look at the work they're doing. Look at, look at how the Lord is using them. And so it's not about what we do as a, a church because we have such good people and a great pastor and so on and so forth. It's nothing like that. I, I think Sometimes pastors take too much credit for the work that God is doing. It needs to go back to the Lord. Because I didn't write this book. I'm just plagiarizing. I'm just reading the, the word of God and I'm using that to reach you. It's God doing the work. He's the one doing the work in your heart. If you get emotional about something that I read, that's the Holy Spirit getting you emotional. That's the Holy Spirit doing the work that I can't do. I may get you emotional showing pictures that, you know, we took with our daughter when she was visiting or when we were visiting. Oh, here, look, isn't that cute? Oh, that's so nice. You know, Wow. You know, that's great. You had to see all the screaming that went on before we took the picture. You know, but, um, you know, it, it, it just tugs at your heartstrings. When the Lord touches your heart, it's something that isn't a, a physical thing. It's not a tangible thing. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that ministers and touches our hearts. 
he does it to me all the time. It's like, okay, there. That was what I wanted you to do. And, and I want to bless you just with the joy in knowing that you did my will. That's the blessing. You know, I don't quickly run to my account on my phone. Did it give me any more money? No, no more money. You know, my account didn't explode all of a sudden with blessings. You know, it, it's my heart that explodes with the blessings of walking in the purpose of the Lord. And that's what Paul was doing. Verse 15. And after those days, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple who we were to lodge, whom we were to lodge with. And uh, when they had come uh, to Jerusalem, when we came to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So here they come. They had this Manason. That's how it's spelled. M-N-A-S-O-N. So that's another great name. If you have a grandchild or a child, you know, and you want to name them. There you go. Manason. <laughs> how did they come up with that name? I know how they came up. Dad was saying, we're going to call him Mason. Mom said, no, we're going to call him Nason. No, Mason. No, Nason. All right, let's compromise. Mason. How ridiculous. That isn't what happened. It's not biblical. I just made that up. So anyway, an important part of Paul's mission were the disciples who were providing for help. No matter where he went, there were disciples that were gathered around. This guy had a place in Jerusalem, obviously, and that's where they were going to stay. And he was providing for that. Remember the upper room? The upper room, it wasn't just a one night time for Passover. They were up there for weeks after, you know, still ministering there in the upper room. And uh, that was this big, huge room that could have been rented out for, you know, bar mitzvahs and stuff like that. But no, they were using that for the, this is when you get a chance to do ministry. People come to town, need a place to stay, you know, while we're doing events and stuff like that. Hey, open up your house. Say, oh, I've got an extra room. You know, they can, they can stay here. You know, that's just a great time to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you know, providing for maybe a meal and a place to stay. That's what Manasin was doing. Notice in verse 17 that the brethren received them gladly. Oh, I'm sure they received them gladly because they came with money. Remember, that's when they delivered the gift that they had been collecting all through Asia, all through Greece, and they had this big financial gift. All of the guys that were with Paul were from those various churches bringing that gift and they were gladly welcomed with that huge gift because not because hey we want money it was because we're hurting we're, we're really hurting here in Jerusalem 
And so this was a gift that was given to them to help them out from the Gentile churches helping the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And so this shows the bond that we have as Jews and Gentiles together in fellowship, one with another. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He wasn't bragging. He was telling them all the work that God did in detail, sharing all of the things that, can you believe, this is what happened. And he was sharing in detail so that they were familiar with everything going on. And when they heard it, they glorified Paul. No, it doesn't say that. It says they glorified the Lord because they recognized it was the Lord that did it. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. Hold on. What's going on here? You see, we were talking about all the good work that the Lord was doing, and now the subject is going to change. Oh, they were so happy about all the Gentile money coming to them, and all of that. And now all of a sudden, the subject changes to the myriad of Jews who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. This is something different. But they have been informed about you, informed. People were talking bad about Paul. They have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. That isn't true. Paul never did that. He never told the Jews, not as a matter of fact. He took Timothy and circumcised him. So he never did that. But someone was spreading rumors. So what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. They were concerned because now the assembly of the Jews were going to meet because they heard that Paul was there. They heard these rumors about him. And now, what do we do about this? How do we approach these law followers? You see, there's nothing wrong with following the law as long as you're not following the law to get a better seat in heaven. Or to think that following the law is going to make you righteous. It don't. The law cannot, if the law could do that, then there was no reason for Jesus to go to the cross. And so the law is good. Thou shall not lie. Thou shall not steal. Hey, good laws. They fit right into Jesus' plan. They fit right into what we should be doing how we should be living. Do not covet your neighbor's goods, his wife, his donkey. Don't covet. That's all good. 
Okay, your neighbor may not have a donkey. Don't covet your neighbor's Lexus. Don't covet, you know, don't covet what they have. And just be happy and content with what we have. Those are all good. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to atonement, the law doesn't cut it. But that didn't stop Paul from living a life that demonstrated. I mean, remember, he cut his hair off, Chentria, and he took a vow. Okay, why did he do that? We aren't given a lot of details about why he did that, but he did. So this was still some of the customs of the Jews that he was following. And it wasn't following it for salvation's purposes or righteousness purposes. He was doing it because he was a Jew. And it was part of his customs. So now they're going to convene the assemblies in verse 23. Uh, Therefore... Do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expense so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should Observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. We've already covered that in in the past about what the Gentiles should do. But now they want Paul to set an example. Look, hey, we have these guys that have taken a vow. Take, go with them, pay their fees, because when you do this, there's, um, you have to have sacrifices and stuff like that. Not sacrifices unto atonement, sacrifices for, um, you know, your um, life, friendship sacrifices, uh, love sacrifice, love offerings, and, and peace offerings, and stuff like that. So uh, he says, go and do that, and show them that you're supporting them by paying for these guys to have their cleansing complete, you pay for it, showing that that's what you're supporting. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So Paul isn't saying, hey, to the alcoholic, I became an alcoholic. (laughs) He isn't saying that. Okay, some people take this out of context. 
and they think that, oh, we're going to enter into sin. Paul never entered into sin for the sake of saving someone. There are actually pastors that have taught this. They even go as far from the pulpit as using vulgarities to show that they are, they can have the freedom and the liberty to live on the edge and use four-letter words and, and being cool and reaching that generation. I've had a pastor say to me, any way that you can to get people into the church, that's okay. As long as you get them in so they can hear it and then be saved. Well, obviously, people aren't going to be saved following his example because it's not a biblical example. And so people can get very confused by the actions of Christians. Paul didn't do that. Paul set the example by living as the poor, as the weak, as a Jew, but showing them how it all points to Christ. Verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And so Paul completed this ritual cleansing, but he didn't give anything up by doing that. He didn't change or compromise what he believed about Jesus Christ. He just followed some of those customs that allowed him to fit. It, to the vegetarian, he became a vegetarian, right? And, and so we can understand, hey, you know what? Some people don't eat meat. That's okay. Go right ahead and not eat meat. We're, we're okay with doing that. Some people worship on Saturday. Some people worship on Sunday. Which one's right? I don't know. Every day is given to the Lord. So, you know, you choose which day you want to. Uh, but for me and my house, we're going to worship every day. We're, we're a child of God every day. And so Paul was just doing things so that people didn't have something negative to say about him. They were focused on the positive. And Paul didn't do anything to compromise his faith in Jesus Christ. We close considering what that means for us. Well, Paul traveled. He went to where he was going. And he was an example everywhere that he went. Regardless of how rough the road was going to be, regardless of the warnings that he had that he was going to experience, the good news is he kept going in the direction he was going in the faith of Jesus Christ. And he was successful in achieving everything that God wanted him to do. We can claim that for ourselves. If we do the will of God, if we follow after the things God calls us to do, we will be successful. That doesn't mean we're going to be healthy perfectly all the time, that we're going to be financially wealthy and, oh, I've got the limo picking me up after service. And, uh, you know, if I 
call my wife's car the limo. Um, you know, yeah, I do. But, you know, we, uh, we get to do what God wants us to do for his glory, for his glory, not for our own. And so the road may be rough, but we can continue on in faith, knowing that he's going to get us through everything that we're going to go through. And we can win people to Christ just as we live so they can see us and say, how are they getting through this without being concerned? I've been watching the news and, you know, they're crazy, you know, the, the people. And how are they not affected and impacted by the news? Oh, I'll tell you how, because I know who wins the election. Us. We are the elect. And I know who the king is. Jesus. So I have no concern whatsoever about what's going to take place, whether it's in our government, whether it's in the world, whoever launches nukes, whatever the case may happen. I'm not concerned because I know Jesus has everything under control. Amen.